This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Christian Credit Counselors. If you're struggling with credit card debt but don't know where to start, our trusted partner, Christian Credit Counselors, offers a debt management program that can get you out of credit card debt 80% faster while honoring your debt in full. Contact them to get out of debt today at ChristianCreditCounselors.org. Are we headed for a debt crisis? Is there a point of no return? And what does the debt crisis even look like? Hi, I'm Rob West. I can add another question. How would a debt crisis affect you? I'll talk to Jerry Boyer today to get the answers, and then it's on to your calls and questions at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, economist Jerry Boyer is president of Boyer Research and a frequent contributor to Faith and Finance, also a contributor to World Opinions. Jerry, great to have you with us on the program. Great to be with you again. Jerry, we're talking a debt crisis today. I know as uh, you and I have talked recently, you've said that although in your lifetime you really haven't seen the possibility of a debt crisis here in the United States as plausible, that perhaps has changed given where we find ourselves today and especially in light of uh, new data out from the CBO. So give us a sense of where you're at with this right now. Yeah, I haven't seen it as plausible within sort of the investable horizon. You know, I, I always acknowledge that there's the possibility of it eventually, but there have sure. been a lot of predictions from our side, even going back to Larry Burkett, who's a terrific person, you know, who wrote, I don't know, was it 30 years ago about the coming economic collapse? Or maybe it was, it was longer. Um, and a lot of people on talk radio and sometimes people who are into prophecy or et cetera, there's been all of these predictions about a debt crisis and hyperinflation and a collapse of the dollar. A lot of fear mongering. Remember the blood moons. <laughs> that would be yeah. another example of that. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is wafted through the Christian community. Um, and, and you know, people have asked me about it and I've said, well, let's look at the numbers. And we had manageable levels of debt. People were predicting a debt crisis under the Reagan administration. Well, except we had 20% debt-to-GDP ratio. Now it's 100% debt-to-GDP ratio. Um, and, you know, we had growing population then. Now we have shrinking population and fastly shrinking population that's of working age. So we're kind of in a different situation. We're coming up closer to it. I'm not saying that we're facing that right now, but I am saying it is no longer a concern to be dismissed or waved away, ah, it'll never happen, and not thought about for people who are thinking about their financial future. Yeah, that's really helpful. Jerry, obviously the CBO out recently with an update on the numbers. Give us an overview. Well, the overview is that they added another $3.1 trillion to their expected uh, debt, national debt, over the next 10 years. And they had Last time they did a report like this, they had added one and a half trillion. So they've added an upgrade to their previous upgrade. So they have wow. been systemically uh, undercounting the amount of debt. Um, and by the way, they're talking about roughly an average of $2 trillion deficit per year. So people get confused about national debt and deficits. So think of the national debt as you look at all of your debt, your credit card, your mortgage, whatever, that's your debt. Your monthly shortfall is your deficit. So if you are $100,000 in debt, 
let's say annual shortfall is $5,000. Well, next year you'll be $105,000 in debt. And the year after that, you'll be $110,000 in debt. So the deficit is how much the debt is increasing. Uh, and now we're talking about deficits, not debt. The, the deficit is, is the annual shortfall of $2 trillion a year. So that's pretty serious. Also, I noticed that the Congressional Budget Office did not forecast a recession this year. Well, if we do get a recession this year, recessions always increase debt rapidly. Why? Because there's more social spending and there's less, less tax revenues. So those two things kind of add up together to an increase in deficits, which um, means an increase in national debt, which means we move even more quickly towards that cliff of a debt crisis. And Jerry, just for context, you mentioned a $2 trillion deficit per year. How does that compare to our total GDP annually? Well, total GDP, real GDP is about $30 trillion. Uh, so, you know, that's about, let's say, between 6 and 7% because it does vary. That is manageable. It's not great, but it's manageable. When the um, emerging market crisis occurred in the 90s, they tended to have deficits that were more like 10 to 20% of their GDP. So that's why a crisis, a debt crisis, is not my base case in the short run. Very good. We're talking about a debt crisis, the possibility of it, and what that means for you. Jerry Boyer with us today. He's the president of Boyer Research and a frequent contributor here at Faith and Finance. Much more to come on this topic just around the corner, and then your calls at 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. We are grateful for support from Lightpoint Portfolios, which seeks out family and faith-friendly investments for 401k and 403b plans, integrating faith values and fiduciary duty. Lightpoint Portfolios offers retirement plans for a variety of organizations such as businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And we're grateful for their sponsorship of the Faith and Finance Program. More information is available at lightpointportfolios.com. My name is Kent, and I'm a member of Christian Healthcare Ministries. I have a friend who actually has great insurance, and she recently had a, a life-threatening experience. And she was laying in the hospital bed afraid, not afraid for her life, but afraid of what her insurance would or would not cover. And as a CHM member, I can honestly say I just never have that fear. I can't tell you the, the peace of mind that provides. Learn more about Christian Healthcare Ministries' biblical cost sharing at chministries.org. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. Are we headed for a debt crisis? Our guest, Jerry Boyer, president of Boyer Research, says, well, it's possible as we look out into the future where we find ourselves today in terms of our current debt and the deficit moving forward on top of our population challenges, an aging workforce, and a host of other criteria at least puts it in the possible category. We're talking today about what that means for you. And uh, Jerry, just before the break, you were talking about the CBO's latest numbers. Uh, In order to maintain this debt level, obviously interest rates are a key part of this and our spending to service the debt is just shy of our largest expenditure, and that uh, is defense, right? But it eventually will be the biggest area of our annual budget, right? Yeah, in a a couple of years, two or three years, um, interest becomes the biggest part, and then it tends to grow very quickly. 
So just imagine a family situation where you've got, you know, um, debt on the credit card. And then you use the credit card to pay off the credit card. You just yeah. say one credit card to pay off another. And eventually you might get to the situation where you're not just increasing the amount that you're borrowing, but you're borrowing interest. You're borrowing to pay the interest. And so the interest starts to kind of move up. There's like an inflection point. Uh, and that's a kind of a death spiral uh, for a family when you get to that point. Um, and that is the thing that is predicted to grow most quickly, the part of the deficit, which is interest on the deficit, uh, interest on past deficits. Um, so that's a concern. Another concern is that they are not forecasting interest rates going back to a normal level. Historically, interest rates are something like, like a 10-year treasury would be something like more than 5%. They're not forecasting you know, a 5% or higher interest rate for the treasury over an extended period of time, which means suppressed interest rates. Well, that's inflationary. Uh, so if we allow the interest rate to rise to the market level, well, then that makes a debt crisis more likely, just in the same sense that a family that has an adjustable rate mortgage, when that mortgage goes up high enough, that creates a crisis. But if we don't allow it to go up to that level, if the Fed keeps pushing interest rates down through the creation of new money, well, then they can't fight inflation. So we have a situation where you have to do one bad thing or the other. There's no way to escape that dilemma. Yeah, there's no question about it. Uh, Jerry, drawing from history, I mean, you and I were talking recently about Reagan's approach to really growing our way out of uh, a situation like this. At the same time, Volcker was contracting the money supply. Why is that model difficult to repeat in this current environment? Well, two reasons, because we don't have a Reagan as president, right? So, you know, Volcker was there before Reagan. Volcker and Carter didn't work very well. Volcker and Reagan worked, which is, you know, controlling the money supply, sound money and economic growth. So if you've got too much money chasing too few goods, there's two things you need to do. You need to deal with the problem of the too much money, but you also need to deal with the problem of the too few goods. So you need monetary discipline, but you also need economic growth. Right now, all we have is the pain. All we have is the Fed fighting inflation by contracting money supply, and we don't have pro-growth policies on the side of the president. The other thing is, at that time, debt levels were so much less than they are now. I know there was a lot of talk about debt and deficits, but it was something like 20 to 30 percent of, of GDP um, during the Reagan years. I mean, higher, more like 30 towards the end, but still not 100 percent. Finally, we were a growing population at that point. The baby boom was still kind of new and coming up. Now that baby boom is retiring. And so people who are post-working age, that population group is growing at 250% of the rate of the growth of people who are working age. Mm -hmm. So for every person who is joining the workforce, say turning 18 or 19, two and a half people um, are leaving. You don't have half people. So for every two people that are joining the <laughs> workforce, five people are retiring. Yeah. Well, that's a serious problem because now they're consumers of government resources um, and they're not mostly taxpayers. They pay some um, and they're not growing the economy, which is why the CBO and pretty much any credible forecaster is forecasting very low rates of growth. Historically, America is yeah. a three and a half to four percent growth country. Yeah, well, with demographics like this, we're more like a one and a half to 2% growth country. So you can't grow your way out of debt if you don't grow. 
Yeah. Now, Jerry, we'll get to what this looks like, drawing from history in other countries in a moment, but you're not calling for this now unless we were to have a challenge politically with increasing the debt ceiling this summer, right? Yeah, these debt ceilings are always sort of a game of chicken. And if we had a situation where nobody swerved, um, and you know, then we could have a crash. I mean, if we defaulted, I think we would see some kind of debt crisis. And we'll, we might even have a little mini crisis just in the fact that we're playing a game of chicken. And you get to that, you know, you get to that brinkmanship where you know who's going to blink. And usually, presidents win these battles when there's a a, a debt level, um, a, a debt ceiling debate. Usually presidents win the debt ceiling debate because Congress doesn't want to be seen as, you know, triggering some kind of debt crisis. Yeah. I don't think that's likely to happen. So I think we get through this uh, and we just kick the can down the road. But eventually you kick the can down the road, you get a can that's so broken up and crumpled that it starts leaking. The can can't be kicked down the road indefinitely. So it does seem like we it's reasonable to surmise that we may well hit a serious debt crisis, but I would not say now. Um, But the mishandling of now makes more likely the serious debt crisis later. And if we got to that point, Jerry, what would that look like, drawing from other countries who have been in that situation? Uh, When countries have debt crises, it sort of depends. The European Union had a debt crisis, but they were sort of bailed out by the fact that the northern states didn't have a debt crisis and the southern states, southern countries did, and they have a single currency. So it meant there was a severe recession um, and significant inflation, but not terrible. The emerging market crisis of the 1990s is more indicative of what happens because they're not part of one currency unit and there was nobody really to bail them out. Um, and so what you had is interest rate spikes, severe contraction of the economy, spiking um, uh, unemployment, and uh, spiking inflation. After World War II, Great Britain had a kind of a debt crisis, and they defaulted, uh, and the pound collapsed, and that was inflationary, and it led to severe decline, and, the, and Great Britain has never been the economic leader of the world again since then. To get our way out of that, Jerry, obviously fiscal restraint would be key, but we'd need to innovate and we'd have to see immigration, right? Yeah, I don't see any way that you deal with um, a situation where 70 million people have been aborted and we have a severely distorted population curve uh, and we don't have workers. Um, We have a worker shortage. Well, what do you do? Uh, I mean, robots aren't ready to be our new working class. So that's immigration. The problem is immigration is highly politically contentious and for understandable reasons. A lot of conservatives feel that mass immigration might change the culture and the political dynamics. You know, that might be exaggerated or not. We can debate about it. But unless we really have some kind of cultural renewal where we actually assimilate immigrants, we had waves of immigration in the 1920s you know, Irish immigrants, Italian immigrants, et cetera. But we were a confident country. And we said, look, you're an American now. You have to give up your prior national identity. You have to join essentially a biblical Protestant culture. And they did. They largely assimilated culturally. But that's not what's happening now. We're a weakened culture. Our our elites don't believe in our culture anymore. So we don't assimilate well, and therefore we won't tolerate mass immigration. Jerry, this is something we'll continue to talk about, but thanks for stopping by, my friend. Really insightful. My pleasure. God bless. That was Jerry Boyer, faith and finance contributor and economist. Much more to come just around the corner. Stay with us. 
Have you downloaded the FaithFi app yet? You need to do that today because this is going to make your life easier. Yes, you can manage your money through the in-app envelope feature, but also plan out future goals. I want to buy a house in five years and I'm on track to do that. Here's also what I like. You can connect with people around the country. It's like social media, but better. Ask a question, get an answer and share what you're learning about money and investing. So why don't you grab your phone right now and download the FaithFi app. Do you feel like your hands are tied with debt, preventing you from serving God? If you have credit card debt, Christian credit counselors can help. Through our debt management program, we can get you out of credit card debt about 80% faster while honoring your debt in full. For more information on how Christian credit counselors can help, visit ChristianCreditCounselors.org. That's ChristianCreditCounselors.org. Or call 800-557-1985. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance, 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Uh, to Georgia, hey, Shayla, thank you for calling. Go ahead. Yes, my dad passed away about a year and a half ago, uh, was leaving a farm, uh, 90 acres plus. Uh, my mom is still living, and of course, that went to her. She wants to divide it all up amongst six siblings. Um, we are wondering about inheritance tax. Does she need mm. to put that in her will? Uh, the acreage that she's going to leave each of us, or does she need to, uh, or can we separate that uh, now? Yeah. What What is the value of this property? Oh, goodness. I'm not sure. Um, I know that there is a note remaining, and we are going to have the house in six acres probably will stand good for the little note. It's 285 And so the property, I, I don't know. It's going to be 90 acres, you know, so it's going to yeah. be a lot. Do you think it'd be more than $12 million? Probably not. Well, that's the current lifetime uh, exemption to be able to pass uh, to heirs and not have any estate taxes, $12.06 million as of this year. Um, now, that could be done now as a gift, and you'd have to each file, uh, she'd have to file a gift return, letting the IRS know that that uh, gift that happens now would go against that $12 million life exemption, um, or it could could be done through the estate. In either case, if it's under that $12 million threshold, there wouldn't be any estate or inheritance tax. Um, beyond that, you'd want to make sure that you're handling this most appropriately uh, with regard to capital gains. Um, so, you know, the was this owned in your um, in his name only, in your dad's name only, or was it held jointly with your mom and dad? Um, jointly in, as far as the loan goes, uh, on the deed, it was only in his name and she had to file for a petition of survivorship. Okay. Yeah. So the question is, you're, you're probably going to want to connect with an estate attorney just so this is done properly. The question is whether the cost basis was stepped up as of the date of death when it became your mom's asset or not. If it wasn't, and, and we're still operating off of the original cost basis of when they purchased it, then you wouldn't want to make the gift to the heirs because you would miss out on that step up in basis that would happen at the date of death of your mom if it passed through the will. 
If that's already been done, then capital gains is probably not an issue uh, because it would have already been stepped up uh, when your dad passed away. And, you know, there's not any concern there. It could go ahead and, you know, it could be given now. But I'd get some uh, advice on that. Uh, You'd want to check with the CPA and uh, you'd also want to determine whether any giving was going to be done from this property because you may want to go ahead and, you know, give a portion of it away to a donor advised fund or something like that prior to the sale, again, depending upon the tax situation. So uh, do you all have an estate planning attorney that you've worked with for, you know, the will or anything else? Uh, Yes, we do. Okay, very good. I would visit with that person just to make sure before you do all of this, uh, you factor in any of the tax implications, uh, you get the value of this property and to make sure that it's done efficiently and effectively because the last thing you'd want to do would be to do something prematurely and have some sort of tax uh, consequence that you weren't expecting. And that's where getting some counsel, especially with a transaction of this size, can make some sense. So I'd probably schedule a visit with that uh, attorney and just say, listen, her desire is to give this to, you know, her children. And the question is, can she do that now? Does she need to do it to the will, through the will? What are the tax implications of both? And let him help you navigate that depending upon the current status of things. Does that make sense? It does. And so uh, I would check with, with the attorney uh, prior to the CPA. Would that be correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, both of them could weigh in on this, but uh, you'd certainly want an estate attorney to weigh in on this and, and be able to help you navigate it. And generally, the estate attorney and the CPA would work together on it. So you'd probably want to put them in touch with each other uh, just to make sure that everything's structured legally the way that it needs to be and that the tax side is considered as well. And that's where these two professionals working in tandem can help you come up with the best plan that's going to be the most efficient from a tax standpoint, but honor also to honor your mom's wishes in the process. So I'd get them talking with one another uh, as you work through this. Hey, I'm sorry to hear about your dad's passing and uh, grateful that you reached out today, Sheila. Thank you for uh, checking with us. Uh, let's, uh, we have a little bit more time left, so let's uh, head to Hollywood, Florida. Hi, David. How can I help you? Hey, how are you today? Doing great. Um, I just, I just uh, received a settlement from my um I went through a divorce that I didn't want, but um, I did receive a settlement for $245,000. Right now, I have it in my bank account. I'd like to know, what what do you think I should do with it? Well, are you going to buy another home, David? No, I'm not. I, I own a condo. Okay. All right. Uh, what about retirement? Do you have retirement assets? No, I don't. That This is okay. my retirement asset. Okay. All right. And do you have a company-sponsored plan available at work? Uh, no. I'm, I was self-employed for uh, 30 years, and now I'm, I am working for someone. Okay. Are you a W-2 employee, or are you a 1099 independent contractor? Uh, uh, no, I'm a W-2 employee. Okay. All right. 
Well, at this point, I think, um, you know, number one, you could get it invested as long as you have a 10-year time horizon. And it's enough money, David, that I'd probably connect with an advisor there in Hollywood to get this money invested for you. Um, you're going to have to do it in a taxable environment because you don't have a retirement plan. You could start funneling, you know, over age 50, $7,500 a year into uh, a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, but you're still going to have quite a bit in a taxable environment. The only way around that, if you don't have a retirement plan at work, is to put it into an annuity. But you may just want to keep it in a taxable account and just start investing it according to your age and goals and objectives. And you don't have to take unnecessary risk. You'd want to do something you are comfortable with. But I think having a professional to navigate this with you, David, that's a lot of money and you want to be a wise steward of it. But you also want to grow it because it's it's losing purchasing power as it sits there in your bank account, especially in light of the inflationary environment we're in right now. So I think that's perhaps your next step. Connect with an advisor, do some retirement planning, have he or she look over your whole financial life, make sure you have enough insurance and other areas are covered, not any unnecessary risk, but also dealing with the investment side as well. If we can help further, let us know. Well, folks, uh, we are about out of time today, but we appreciate so much all of your calls. You know, here's what we want to do each day on this broadcast. We want to understand God's heart as it relates to our money, because we know there's 2,300 verses in God's Word that deal with money and possessions. And the reason for that is because there's so much to say about our money and our hearts and ultimately our walk with the Lord. Make plans to join us again next time. I'll be here and I hope you will be too for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you. 